Like all states, North Carolina has governmental open meetings laws. These are designed to keep the business of elected officials in public view. Sally Keston of AVL Watchdog has done some extensive reporting showing that Asheville City Council members have been skirting the spirit, if not the letter, of these laws by holding closed-door meetings in groups of two or three. If you talk to open government experts and, and First Amendment attorneys in North Carolina, they say that really what they're doing is they're, they've designed these things to skirt the open meetings law. They're exactly intended to, to get around that law. I'm Matt Pikin. Today on The Overlook, I talk with Sally Keston about her reporting on this issue, what's potentially happening in these meetings outside of public view, and the effects on a public kept in the dark. We'll get to my conversation in just a moment, but I first want you to meet Jennifer Goodier of Davidia Realty. You can't have a better advocate when you're house hunting, and I can tell you this because Jennifer stuck with me for the five months it took to find my Asheville house four years ago. Jennifer is known to go the extra mile and the extra crawl space to save her clients time and money. I go through a house with an inspector's eye. I crawl into the crawl space. I look at things that are going to show up on a home inspection that might be big issues. And having that upfront knowledge of what you're getting into really helps you understand what might be negotiable, what might not be negotiable during the transaction. What I tell my clients is I wouldn't put you in a home that I wouldn't buy myself. In this competitive home buying market, reach out to Jennifer at Davidia Realty to help give you the edge. Go to Davidia Realty, that's D-I-V-I-T-I-A Realty.com. Last week, the city of Asheville announced they would begin holding what they're calling in-person agenda briefing work sessions on the Thursday prior to each official council meeting. City staff said these work sessions are meant to discuss upcoming agenda items, including any concerns or issues city council might have in front of staff and the public. A press release about the work sessions didn't address whether council members would continue meeting in small groups behind closed doors. My conversation with Sally Keston took place before this announcement. Give me a little background about how you even came to know about the closed door meetings that City Council undertakes. So this process that the City Council uses had been written about to some degree. I came across it during the water outage over Christmas, which was a huge deal. It had tens of thousands of people, mostly in South Asheville, but really throughout the city, had no water for days. And it went on and on, despite the city promising that they were going to fix it. And all of a sudden, they were going to have a city council meeting. It would have been the first city council meeting after this debacle of the water outage. And before that, five days before that, the city met in what they call this check-in meeting. And I found out about it, and I said, I'd like to come and watch it and see what happens. And they said, no, sorry, these are closed meetings. And I was really shocked by that and decided this is worth the kind of deep dive that we do to figure out what the heck they're doing and is it legal or is it 
sidestepping the law, and so that's what we did. So let's talk about the open meetings laws and what we assume about them, that we assume they're open to the public, that any meeting of the city officials, is, certainly elected officials, is open to the public. Talk about what that law is and how these check-ins supposedly circumvent that law. So in North Carolina, as in most states, city governments, any local government, typically has to meet in public. And what that means is they have to give notice ahead of time that they're going to meet, and then they have to meet in a forum that is open to the press and open to the public. And the whole idea is this is the public's business. This is taxpayer money public money that they're making decisions on, these that affect everybody who lives in a city, and all of those things are so important. The legislature recognized that and said, any meeting of a local body should be public. But here's the key. If a majority of the elected officials are gathering, and that's really how Asheville City Council is getting around this law, because they're not having meetings of a majority of the council. They're specifically designed so that there is not a quorum, there is not a majority. So they meet with two council members and the mayor at a time, and that is not considered a majority, and so therefore they say that's not a public meeting. Now I can see on the surface of it, let's say two city council members or the mayor and a city council member are meeting for lunch. I can understand where on that notion of that, they should be allowed to meet in public or a coffee shop, wherever they are, without having that being open to public scrutiny. Talk about the purpose from what you've been able to suss out of having these official check-ins that aren't open to the public. What's the purpose of these? The purpose, they say, is for the city council to be briefed on what's coming up, the, the items that are coming up on the next council agenda or the next committees or confidential matters that they need to discuss with their attorney. They say they need an opportunity to ask questions and some of them that support these check-ins say, look, we don't want to, we don't want to sound stupid in, the, in public by asking questions because we don't understand an issue. And we want to be ready for, I think one of them said, lights, camera, action when we are in public. And so they, they say they need this opportunity to get briefed and get up to speed. The only problem with it is doing it, it creates this mistrust of what's really going on and what are they trying to hide. And, and plenty of other, we contacted plenty of other cities and plenty of other local governments deal with this in a different way. They deal with it by holding what they call work sessions, which are informal meetings, but they're all there together in one place and they're televised, they're open to the public. But Asheville City Council doesn't want to do that and hasn't. They've been having these regularly scheduled check-in meetings before every city council meeting now for at least five years from what I can determine. You just answered one of my questions about how far back this, uh, you've been able to determine this goes back. You just touched on also a couple of issues, one of which is the city council has said, we want to be briefed or have an understanding of these issues before we go public, before the lights, camera, action. Doesn't that also apply to the public that they should be briefed about these educational opportunities as well? Isn't the city council, by the very nature of wanting to be educated about an issue before the official city council meeting, isn't this taking away an opportunity from the public also to be educated about these issues in real time, just as city council is? 
I think you can absolutely make that argument that they are depriving the public of an opportunity to not only see how they're conducting business, but get the very same information. It should be of interest to everybody who lives in Asheville, these more detailed conversations about these big issues. And what I looked at from the agenda is they are talking about critical issues that are of the most vital importance to people who live here. Homelessness, changing the Merriman Road, that road diet that they did, hotel moratoriums, hotel developments, development projects. These are big issues that people care about. And by having these check-ins and not making them public, and by, by not making them public, they're not only saying the public can't come, but they don't record any minutes. They don't record the meetings in any way, audio or video. So there's really no record of what comes up in this. And yes, they are depriving the public of that opportunity to hear what's going on and hear how decisions, how they come to decisions based on the information that they're getting. You had in one of your stories about this, I think you quoted one of the city council members, she tipped her hand in a sense, saying we want to have the ability to speak more freely. Was it Shanika Smith? There was one city council member who spoke and said we want the ability to be more candid in our conversation than we can be in a, in a public meeting. Isn't that the very nature of what transparency laws are trying to avoid? I think it is, and it was Councilwoman Smith, and I think the words she used were raw and Candid. So that's, that is the argument that they make. If you talk to people, open government experts and, and First Amendment attorneys in North Carolina, they say that really what they're doing is they're, they've designed these things to skirt the open meetings law. They're exactly intended to, to get around that law. And frankly, that argument of I want to be raw and candid and I don't want to look stupid in public, which is essentially the argument that the, peop that the council members who favor this are making. Making, it just doesn't, it doesn't hold up. You're a, an elected official of a public body. You are not sitting on a private company board. You're not running your own business. This is the public's business. You gotta, I would just tell them, get over it. You are a public official and everything you do ought to be considered for the public's benefit and in front of the public. And when you don't do that, you're just breeding mistrust. Mayor Esther Manheimer has spoken at times, at least during her campaigns, about the importance of transparency. How does she defend this? She says it's the will of the majority of the council and that they have discussed it at their annual retreats. They did it last year and they're going to do it again in March of this year. She in, is in favor of switching to that work session idea, which is get everybody, all the council members together in one room and you can ask whatever questions you want, but it's open to the public. She favors that switch and she says it hasn't been done because too many of the other council members have supported maintaining these check-ins. I do think there there may be some momentum to, to change it now. There's a new council member, Maggie Ullman, who wants to switch. And I'm sure Kim Roney would probably be, by her voting record, and at least what she has said in public, Kim Roney would be very against these kinds of check-ins. She ran on a platform of transparency, and yes, she does not support these check-ins. 
And I think the other one that might be a swing vote would be Sage Turner. She said after our deadline, but we added it to our story that she would be in favor of switching to the work session. It made it sound in your story too that these check-ins seem to almost be almost like planned in nature, that these three people will meet at this time and these three people will meet at this time. Maybe there's one or two overlap there, but we will bring somebody else in. Talk about the nature of how these check-ins are constructed in a way that you've been able to suss out that can develop a certain quorum or a majority sentiment around a, an issue that comes before city council before it even comes up for public review. They are very structured. They are held on the Thursday before a Tuesday city council meeting. They're, they have three separate meetings. So two council members per session, they're typically an hour to an hour and a half each. The mayor usually sits in on all three, and the, the two city council members, they, they pick their slot, which time they want to do, but they have three separate meetings on the same day with the mayor, the city manager, and then two council members at each one. And they go over the same material three different times. So there's an, another argument that you can make about it's not an efficient use of staff time to, to spend an entire day, six hours or five hours, meeting with individual council members on the same thing. One of the issues that we were able to see how this all plays out, there was one, they typically don't record these, but one council member couldn't make a check-in and it was on the hotel moratorium issue. And so I was able to listen to a recording of one of those check-in sessions. And it happened to be the last one, the third one of the day. And at the end, the mayor summed up, okay, here's how everybody feels about this issue, and actually turned to staff and said, do you now feel like from these check-ins, you have enough information to know where we're headed? So it is clear, they say, look, we're not, we're not violating the law because we're not taking any action in these check-ins. That may be true, but it seems like they're going close to the line by gauging the individual council members, polling them on where they stand on these important issues. It's interesting that Mayor Mannheimer has told you, or at least has publicly said she is opposed to these kinds of check-ins yet she participates in all of them. Is there a contradiction there of action versus words? Certainly, and I think really all of the council members who, if they really don't, if they believe that the public has a right to, to know what's happening in these check-ins, could certainly change it by just saying, I'm not going to participate. Are there any of the council members that you know of who don't participate because of the ethic of it? None. They all participate, and even the ones who don't like it are afraid of being cut out of the process and missing important information. So they all participate. Does the city attorney act at the behest of city council and the mayor in a sense that if they want this, the city attorney provides cover for this? Or is the city attorney in a position to say this skirts the very nature and the intent of the open meetings law and this isn't legal? What role does the city attorney play in all this? That's an excellent question because I can't figure out how exactly it started. Who proposed this? in Asheville. The city clerk told me she thought it started about five years ago under an interim city manager who I was not able to reach because that person doesn't work for Asheville anymore. So I don't know whether it came from someone on council suggested it or 
a city attorney prior to the current city attorney suggested it. But the current city attorney, Brad Branham, says very clearly these are legal. There is nothing wrong with it. He's very, he defends the right of the city council to hold these check-ins. He is absolutely in support of it. And I don't know whether, again, that that is him defending their decision or how that came about, but he's pretty adamant that they don't violate the law. And he came from Charlotte and so did the city manager. And they both told me that Charlotte has a similar process. I was not able to verify that because they would not return my calls. So it very well may be that Charlotte does something similar. Raleigh does. I found that out. The Raleigh City Council has similar closed sessions before meetings, not on as regular of a schedule as Asheville does. And that seems to be something that's unique with Asheville City Council is that they just, they have these things regularly scheduled and they're just like city council meetings, only they're not open to the public. That sort of sets them apart in how they do this. Certainly some other local governments do some form of these closed sessions, like the county commission. They call them three by threes. So that's three members, three commissioners. Again, not a majority, but they don't do them as regularly as Asheville City Council. That's the difference. You'd mentioned that you listened to a recording of one of these check-ins, and you also said, though, that there are no records now. So were they recording them at one point in time and then no longer? No. The only record, consistent record, that's produced that they make public is the agenda for the check-ins. And I, when I say make public, I don't mean the way they do for regular city council meetings. You can go to the city council website and call up an agenda for any meeting coming up or any meeting that's occurred over the last several years and see all the backup documents. You can watch or listen to a recording of the meeting. You won't find that for any check-ins. But if you make a public records request for any materials related to these check-ins, you will get agenda. So that's typically the only written record of of these, and they do not record them, so there's no recording available. But there was one that, that happened to be recorded. It was a Zoom call that they recorded because one of the city council members couldn't make it and asked, specifically asked the city to record it. And an open government advocate named Patrick Conant here in Asheville requested it, found out that city council member had asked for it to be recorded, and he, asked, he made a public records request. And so they put the Zoom recording out, and that's available. Hey, listeners of The Overlook, do you have thoughts on the city council's closed-door meetings or Asheville police recruiting challenges, maybe the city's water woes or Asheville's road diet? Maybe you have an idea for a topic I should cover here. Call 828-214-7828. That's 828-214-7828 and leave your comments on our dedicated voice line. You might just hear yourself in a future episode of The Overlook. Let's get back now to my conversation with Sally Keston of Asheville Watchdog. While stories such as yours certainly raise eyebrows, they certainly got my attention, what power do residents have to do anything about this? If the city attorney is defending this, what kind of recourse is there? So I think in situations like this, it's, it does really come down to public opinion and public pressure. You could 
potentially make a legal case and try to challenge the city that there, there is one aspect of the open meetings law and it says that you can't evade the spirit of the law by holding meetings that are outside the scope. And some people say that's what the city council is doing. So there could be a legal court challenge by perhaps a media organization or a coalition of media organizations since this is happening in other cities. So there could be some recourse, but short of that, really it comes down to, and I saw that when I listened to the discussion of this in the annual retreat that the city council had last year, they talked about, I, are we really hearing much complaint about this out in the public? That was their gauge as to whether it was okay to continue. And the, some of them that were running for re-election were saying, I'm hearing about it, and the other ones weren't, and they just weren't that concerned about it. So. I think that people listening, people reading about this, if they do feel it's wrong, then they ought to speak up and let their the mayor and the city council know how they feel. Maybe this is naive of me and perhaps idyllic or utopic to suggest that if you're an elected official, certainly at a city council level, wouldn't you want the public to know what you're talking about and thinking about? I don't understand the benefit in the long run of having these discussions that you're going to have a public vote on anyway. You're going to, you're eventually, your vote at city council is going to be public. What's the benefit of these check-ins from their vantage, do you think? I'm not sure I would call it a benefit as much as it provides them some cover. And I'll say this about the city council. You think of the local government and elected officials, you think of school boards, even the county commission, but the hot button issues that really affect people, that really people care about the most, that's what the city council is dealing with. They really are up against some of the biggest stuff that is on people's minds. Homelessness, development, it's front and center of city council. And I think that they get so much heat from the public on these issues that they are looking for opportunities to not get hammered by maybe speaking their minds and asking questions without people getting up in arms and criticizing them for it. And I really think that's at the heart of it. It's just, these are pretty controversial things that they're tackling and they're, they want to have some cover from people that they might offend. When you're saying cover in a sense that they've already learned certain things or had certain discussions, so it minimizes their exposure to speaking publicly and saying something that might embarrass themselves. That's exactly what I'm saying. And you get a flavor of that when you look at that retreat from last year and you see some of the comments and wanting to be raw and wanting to be candid. And I think that's what they mean. And I don't want to appear, I want to appear knowledgeable in public. And so it really is, really is about that, I think. One of the issues that I know is coming up on the horizon, and I'm sure you could cite other issues as well, that is probably going to be wholly dependent on what city council votes is what happens with McCormick Field and helping to pay or footing the entire bill of the $30 million bill that it looks like it's going to cost for renovating that field. That's money that's right out of taxpayers' pockets. 
Do you think that's the kind of issue that's happening right now behind closed doors, that, that city council is already having check-ins about this? And if so, I'm wondering what role do lobbyists or others who are outside the purview of city council, city manager, city attorney, does anybody else have access to these meetings and getting in and having their voices heard, such as lobbyists for certain issues? I don't know that for certain, but I don't think that these meetings, they're not open to the public. If they have allowed a developer in or a lobbyist in, then that would raise some serious concerns. I have not seen any evidence of that. What I'm seeing in these check-in meetings are city staff and the city council, individual council members, and that's it. I will virtually guarantee you that they have already talked about McCormick Field and what to do about it, and they will because it's coming up for a vote soon. And so if it's on the agenda, it's going to be on the agenda of a check-in meeting because that's how the system works. And I'm certain that they have talked about this in check-in meetings. Another huge issue that they dealt with almost exclusively in these check-in meetings was how to spend the COVID relief money. And that was a huge bucket of money that sort of fell out of the sky from the federal government into the laps of cities and counties all over the US. And they used the check-in process and a shared Google spreadsheet that they all had access to, but we didn't have access to it as the public or the media to rank the projects and who should get the funding and who shouldn't. And so much of that process was done out of the public view. And I, these are the kinds of big money issues and issues that really affect the public that are being discussed in behind closed doors. If city council's already having these discussions and getting on the same page or at least understanding where they stand about these things, does that minimize or water down the impact of any public comments that would come by the time things get to a public city council meeting? Is it already kind of moot and decided? You know, it's hard to know that for sure. If any council members' minds are influenced or changed after listening to public comment. But I think that this whole process does involve steering the policy, steering the vote. They may not be taking votes in these check-ins, but they're certainly giving direction and getting consensus, really, on where they're going to go. So by the time they do get to the public meetings, it may already be decided. Now, that's not to say that nobody will ever change their mind or nobody will ever be influenced by something else that they hear. I think it does lessen the ability of the public to, to have a real voice in the process. Maybe this is just the cynic in me, but I think at that point it just becomes a piece of theater. We are showing the public that we are open by having this mandatory session, which everybody gets two minutes or three minutes, whatever's on the clock. To me, that by the very nature of having these check-ins and then having the public voice at the very end of the process, it just, to me, just seems like theater. Is there anything about this issue we haven't talked about that you think is germane for listeners to know or understand? I would say I think that city council and really politicians throughout Asheville and Buncombe County have gone about their business in ways that are not particularly above board and fully open to the public for a long time because there hasn't been a really strong, robust local press that really holds their feet to the fire. 
And I think the local media have done a, a wonderful job of covering what the issues are and the votes. And there's an awful lot of meetings that they have that, that need covering and are covered. But is but stepping back and looking at how the sausage is made, how the government really works and functions here, that's something that's not typically looked at by the press and by beat reporters. And, and I think it's a missing piece of, and a very important missing piece that, that does need to be exposed and people should pay attention to this. It matters, it really matters. And we wanna have trust and confidence in our elected officials that they're acting in our best interests in, or at least that they're hearing all sides and that they're, they're being totally open about how they come to decisions and why they come to decisions. And I'm not sure that's happening in Asheville the way it should be. I want to thank Sally Keston of AVL Watchdog as my guest today. Our theme song is Maker's Song, provided courtesy of the Asheville band The Resonant Rogues. You can find out more about them at theresonantrogues.com. There are new episodes of The Overlook every Monday through Thursday, with a special audio residency happening on Fridays with Story Parlor in West Asheville. Make sure you subscribe or follow for free on your favorite podcasting app and sign up for our newsletter at podavl.com overlook. I'm Matt Pikin, and I'll be here with you on the next episode of The Overlook. <laughs>